This is Sister Kamalan from Vatican News. We now bring you the latest in our series of reflections on the Sunday Gospel entitled Gospel Truth. On the evening of that first day of the week, even though the disciples had locked the doors of the place where they were for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood before them. Peace be with you, he said. When he'd said this, he showed them his hands and his side. At the sight of the Lord, the disciples rejoiced. Peace be with you, he said again. As the Father has sent me, so I send you. Then he breathed on them and said, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive people's sins, they are forgiven them. If you hold them bound, they are held bound. It happened that one of the twelve, Thomas, the name means twin, was absent when Jesus came. The other disciples kept telling him, We have seen the Lord. His answer was, I'll never believe it without probing the nail prints in his hands, without putting my finger in the nail marks and my hand into his side. A week later, the disciples were once more in the room, and this time Thomas was with them. Despite the locked doors, Jesus came and stood before them. Peace be with you, he said. Then to Thomas, Take your finger and examine my hands. Put your hand into my side. Do not persist in your unbelief, but believe. Thomas said in response, My Lord and my God. Jesus then said to him, You believe and became a believer because you saw me. Blessed are they who have not seen and have believed. Jesus performed many other signs as well, signs not recorded here in the presence of his disciples. But these have been recorded to help you believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, so that through this faith you may have life in his name. If there is one apostle who, since time immemorial, has been maligned and misjudged, it's surely St. Thomas. In one book, he's described as the apostle who doubted, John 20, verse 25. Hence the phrase, a doubting Thomas, applied to a skeptic. Even in my Dictionary of Saints, you may read, his incredulity about our Lord's resurrection has passed into proverbial speech while Graham Greene proclaimed, We are children of Thomas, the twin. And if he was a twin, where was his other half? But in fact, writes Piero Bargellini. We have no reason for making Thomas the symbol of incredulity. Thomas is, first of all, a faithful apostle, full of zeal, but the enemy of imprudence. He is a positive man who likes things to be clear-cut. You know the way to the place where I am going, our Lord told the disciples in his farewell discourse at the Last Supper. And Thomas said, understandably, Lord, we do not know where you are going, so how can we know the way? 
And when Jesus insisted on going back to Judea from Galilee in order to waken Lazarus from death, even though this meant risking his life, it was Thomas who exclaimed, Let us go too and die with him. Comments Sheed, When the time came, Thomas ran with the others. But he meant it when he said it, and there was splendour in it. All the more, perhaps, because he did run later. Courage costs braver men less. This is also the first thing we have heard Thomas say. If Thomas was incredulous, moreover, when the other apostles told him the Lord had appeared to them, what about their own lack of belief before they had seen him? Mary Magdalene was the first to experience that, as Mark recounts. But they did not believe her when they heard her say that he was alive and that she had seen him. After this, he showed himself under another form to two of them as they were on their way into the country. These went back and told the others who did not believe them either. Lastly, he showed himself to the eleven themselves while they were at table. He reproached them for their incredulity and obstinacy because they had refused to believe those who had seen him after he had risen. Luke's version of the return of the two disciples from Emmaus is slightly different, as he doesn't record their incredulity, but rather has them say, Yes, it is true, the Lord has risen and has appeared to Simon. When he does appear to them, they think he is a ghost, and he has to show them his wounds and ask for something to eat to convince them that he has flesh and bones. When preaching to those preparing for baptism, the 4th century bishop, St. Cyril of Jerusalem, spoke of the resurrection of the body. This body shall be raised, not remaining weak as it is now. By putting on incorruption it shall be altered, as iron blending with fire becomes fire. However it be, this body shall be raised, but it shall not remain such as it is. Rather, it shall abide as an eternal body. It shall no longer require for its life such nourishment as now, nor shall it require a ladder for its ascent, for it shall be made a spiritual body, a marvelous thing such as we have not the ability to describe. Then shall the just, it is said, shine forth like the sun and the moon, and like the splendor of the firmament. And knowing beforehand the disbelief of man, God has caused little worms in the summer to emit beams of light from their bodies, so that from the things seen that which is awaited might be believed. He that gives the part is able also to give the whole, and he that made the worm radiant with light will much more be able to make radiant a righteous man. And from St. Cyril's delightful image of the glowworm to the institution of the sacrament of penance or reconciliation, when our Lord breathed on the apostles and said, Receive the Holy Spirit. Only the second time in Scripture we read of a divine breathing. 
the first being when God fashioned man of dust from the soil. Then he breathed into his nostrils a breath of life, and thus man became a living being. But this time, on the occasion known as the Johannine Pentecost, it's a symbolic breathing by which the risen Christ gives the Holy Spirit to the community of the apostles for the remission of sins. In both Greek and Aramaic, breath, wind and spirit are indicated by a single word. Hence, the mighty wind of Pentecost. And interestingly, the Second Vatican Council has been called a new Pentecost. And who convened it but another John, concerned to let a breath of fresh air into the church? The Council's first official prayer was the Veni Creator Spiritus, in which the Pope and the Council Fathers together called upon the Holy Spirit for light and guidance in the task ahead. Traditionally, too, in preparation for confession, we used to pray, Come, Holy Spirit, fill the hearts of thy faithful, and enkindle in them the fire of thy love. In the early part of the 4th century, Aphrates, the oldest of the fathers of the Syrian church, and known generally as the Persian sage, wrote recommending the sacrament of penance and offering advice to confessors. For anyone who has been wounded in a battle ought not be reluctant to put himself in the care of a wise physician because he was overcome and lost the battle. And when he has been healed, he will not be rejected by the king, but will again be counted and reckoned in his army. So also he that has been struck by Satan ought not be ashamed to bewail his folly and to give it up and to seek a remedy in repentance. You physicians, then, who are the disciples of our illustrious physician, you ought not deny a curative to those in need of healing. And if anyone uncovers his wound before you, give him the remedy of repentance. And he that is ashamed to make known his weakness, encourage him so that he will not hide it from you. And when he has revealed it to you, do not make it public, lest because of it the innocent might be reckoned as guilty by our enemies and by those who hate us. Was this perhaps an early suggestion that there be a seal of confession? And what of Thomas? Apart from Peter and John, writes one, the most colourful personality among the apostles. In his Lives of the Saints, Butler writes, As with the other apostles, there are traditions of great unreliability about his missionary activities after the descent of the Holy Spirit at Pentecost. But the most persistent tradition is that which says that he preached the gospel in India. Quoting the apocryphal acts of St. Thomas, Butler writes, When the apostles at Jerusalem divided the countries of the world for their labors, India fell to the lot of Thomas. He was unwilling to go, pleading lack of strength and that a Hebrew could not teach Indians. And here our Lord intervened, appearing to the merchant of an Indian king and selling Thomas as a slave to his master. As thou wilt, Lord, so be it, answered Thomas, and off he went to India. Asked by the king what his trade was, Thomas replied, 
I am a carpenter and builder. I can make yokes and plows and ox goads, oars for boats and masts for ships, and I can build in stone, tombs and monuments and palaces for kings. So the king ordered him to build a palace. But Thomas spent the money on the poor instead. Thus, we read, creating a superb palace in heaven. Result of this legend, Thomas is the patron saint of masons and architects, and his symbol is a builder's square. But the Indian connection doesn't end there, as Butler recounts. At the other end of India from the Punjab, along what is known as the Malabar coast, there is a large population of native Christians who call themselves the Christians of St. Thomas. They claim, as their name indicates, to have been originally evangelized by St. Thomas in person. They have an ancient oral tradition that he landed at Cranganor on the west coast and established seven churches in Malabar, then passed eastward to the Coromandel coast, where he was martyred by spearing on the big hill eight miles from Madras and was buried at Mailapur, now a suburb of that city. In 1522, the Portuguese discovered his alleged tomb, and Thomas became the patron saint of Portugal. Yet another story tells that once Thomas saw a huge beam of timber floating on the sea near the coast. We're still in India. The king tried to get it hauled ashore, using both men and elephants, without success. Thomas asked if he might use it to build a church. His request was granted whereupon he dragged it ashore effortlessly, using a piece of pack thread, strong thread or thin twine used for sewing or tying up packages or parcels. But whatever is said or written about him, his eternal glory will surely be that he alone is recorded as having addressed our Lord unequivocally as God. And to close this reflection on John's Pentecost, let's listen to the Veni Creator Spiritus in Dryden's paraphrase translation. Creator Spirit, by whose aid the world's foundations first were laid, come, visit every pious mind. Come, pour thy joys on humankind. From sin and sorrow set us free, and make thy temples worthy thee. O source of uncreated light, the Father's promised paraclete, thrice holy fount, thrice holy fire, our hearts with heavenly love inspire. Come, and thy sacred unction bring to sanctify us while we sing. <laughs> 